So who is Antichrist? For centuries they've debated this. In the early 1800s, Napoleon was attacking Russia. In Tolstoy's book, War and Peace, which tells of that period, he brings out very clearly that the Russian churches thought Napoleon was the Antichrist. I really have no doubt that some of the church people in 1940-41 thought Hitler was the Antichrist. For centuries, churches have taught that Antichrist is one man and that he comes through the governments of men. The Bible explains this to us very clearly so that we don't have to debate who is Antichrist because both the Apostle John and the Apostle Paul told us the answer to this. First, let's look at what the Apostle John said about Antichrist. He explained it to his church group. 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. John said, Little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now... Are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time? They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. At that time, when the New Testament church began meeting together. It was already the end time. It was already the last days. Jesus had been crucified and resurrected, and he from heaven called Paul and put him as a minister to the church. From heaven. John was one of the first apostles that walked with Jesus, But Paul wasn't. Paul was persecuting the church at the time Jesus walked on the earth. Paul was catching the Christians at the time Jesus was crucified and resurrected, taken into heaven. Paul was killing the Christians. He was putting them in bondage and giving consent to their death when they were put to death by the Jews. God called Paul from heaven just as he does us today. God reveals himself to us, and we are born again, given the Spirit of God. And that same thing happened to Paul. Paul was not the last apostle. Paul was one of the first of the New Testament apostles of Ephesians chapter 4. So in the early days of both John and Paul, Antichrist through humans was already sitting in the churches, in the church groups. Paul explains this. Acts chapter 20, verse 29 and 30. Paul is speaking to the elders of the church at Ephesus. And he says, For I know this, that after my departing, 
Shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock? Also of your own selves shall men arise, even right there among the elders at that time, there were Antichrist individuals sitting there just waiting for an opportunity to speak perverse things to the church. Paul says also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves. So there were already Antichrist in the days of both the Apostle John and the Apostle Paul, and they both show us that there wasn't just one Antichrist, there were many Antichrists coming into the church groups, and even among the elders, and that Antichrist was not just coming through governments of men, Antichrist was coming through the churches, and that before Jesus returns, The Apostle Paul said there had to be a falling away and Antichrist had to be revealed. Even though the Antichrists had come into the churches in the days of John and Paul, Paul told them that things would get worse and worse in the churches before Jesus returned. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1 This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Now they were calling the time that they lived on the earth the last days. What does it mean? For we are living in the last days 2,000 years later. What does this mean? Well, it's answered by the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3. Peter explains that God doesn't see time like we do. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. God's time is viewed totally different than the way we view time. If we are viewing time from the crucifixion to now, it's over 2,000 years. But if God is viewing it as 1,000 years as one day, it would be two days. This explains why in the New Testament Bible, Jesus said, I come soon, I come quickly. And this explains why the apostles said it was the last days. When 2,000 years later, We are still waiting for the return of Jesus, but he will come. The day of the Lord will come. So in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Verse 13, he says, Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So toward the time we live now, it was going to be worse and worse. These men were going to get worse and worse. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 is a very strong explanation of the apostasy that would come into the churches before Jesus returns. 
Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day of the Lord shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Antichrist in the churches. Antichrist sitting in the temple of God. Antichrist ruling over the scriptures and changing the doctrines of Christ from those of the New Testament Bible. That's Antichrist. Anytime we see a church group where they have omitted scripture and set up another doctrine, that's Antichrist. And we see it all the time nowadays. In 1982, I was reading this passage of scripture in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And God said to me, the falling away are not people leaving the churches. The falling away are the churches leaving the scriptures. And that allows Antichrist in. So read once again 2 Thessalonians 2, start at verse 3. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day of the Lord shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Have they changed the doctrine of Christ in the church you attend? Let's examine it by the scriptures. Do they teach in the church that you attend? Do they teach that the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery? Is that what they teach? I've never heard that taught at a church. But that's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 verse 32. But I have gone to church since 1975 and never once have I ever heard anyone say from a pulpit, the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. I've never heard that said. But that's what Jesus said. So you see, that's an antichrist situation. For what they are doing is omitting portion of the word of God in the New Testament Bible in order to follow their own doctrine and to please people, because to say that at a church group would offend many people. So in Matthew 5.32, Jesus says, But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, divorce his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. So in Matthew 5.32, what Jesus is saying is the faithful wife who has been divorced by her husband will commit adultery if she remarries after divorce. But that husband who divorced the faithful wife will be the cause of her adultery. And the man who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Is any of that actually taught at the church you attend? Or do they have the wedding ceremonies between divorced 
woman and another man, do they have those ceremonies right there in the church auditorium, performed by the pastor, sanctioned by the congregation? It's a very serious time. If you went to 10 pastors in your neighborhood of all different denominations and asked them, is it all right for the divorced woman to remarry? What do you think they would say? Do you think they would say Matthew 5.32, that if she remarries, she commits adultery? Or do you think they would say, oh, no, I think it's fine for the divorced woman to remarry. Well, my sister is divorced and remarried. Or do you think they would say something like, oh, God loves you and wants you to be happy, so of course you can remarry. Completely denying the scriptures and the words spoken by Jesus. That's Antichrist. Let's look at some more scriptures on this subject. And unto the married I command, says Paul, yet not I but the Lord. This is a commandment of the Lord. 1 Corinthians seven ten and 11. Let not the wife depart from her husband, but in if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. 1 Corinthians 7 Verse 39, the wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth, but if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will only in the Lord. What they will say in the churches is we don't go by the law. And yet Paul was speaking this to the New Testament church as a commandment of the Lord for the New Testament church. Well, when those pastors say we don't go by the law, they mean that we do not go by the law of Moses where we sacrifice animals for sin. But we go by the law of God as set forth in the New Testament Bible. And at the judgment seat of Christ, we will all be judged according to the word of the New Testament Bible and whether or not we did it. Romans chapter 7. Verses 2 and 3. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. This is, unto death do you part. Marriage is, unto death do you part. You are one flesh to that mate. At the time of sexual intercourse, the two become one flesh. 1 Corinthians 6. You are one flesh to that mate. How do you separate one flesh? Look at your hand. You have a little finger. Now you say, I'm going to get rid of that little finger because it hurts and annoys me. So the only way to get rid of the little finger is death to the little finger. You take an axe and cut the little finger off, and it's gone from your flesh. But you can't do it by a written document that says you are now divorced. 
you're still one flesh until death do you part. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 15 and 16. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. Even if you have sex with a prostitute, you become one flesh with that prostitute. So Paul says in verse 18, Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Fornication is a sin different from all other sins. It is a sin against your own body. And you become one flesh with that person with whom you have committed fornication, even if the person is a prostitute. Mark 10, Jesus said this concerning marriage. Verses 6 through 9. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. And in verses 11-12 of Mark chapter 10, Jesus said, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marrieth another committeth adultery against her. And if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she committeth adultery. These scriptures are omitted and violated at every church that I know of. I don't know of any church that holds to these scriptures whether the church is Protestant or Catholic. I don't know of any church that holds to these scriptures. That's Antichrist in the churches. That's the apostasy. Considering other subjects, such as homosexual and lesbian. Romans chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, concerning homosexuals and lesbians. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another, men with men doing that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Is that what they're teaching at your church? God gave them over unto vile affections. God gave them over to a reprobate mind, a mind without judgment. If they're teaching 
anything else at your church. It's Antichrist, opposite from Scripture. Concerning the qualification for elders and bishops in the church, I've seen this violated several times. Does it really matter? Of course it matters. For this is the law of God. These are the rules of God for an elder or a bishop. Elder and bishop are the same thing. Interchangeable words in the New Testament Bible. They're not two separate offices. Concerning the qualifications for elders and bishops in the churches. Titus chapter 1, verses 4 through 11, Paul speaking to Titus, said the following. To Titus, mine own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. For this cause I left thee in Crete, that thou shouldst set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. For a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision. Paul is saying in the churches, There are many vain talkers, especially of the Jews that say they believe in Jesus, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. I attended a church one time in the Dallas area, a church called Word of Faith. Robert Tilton was pastor. They had an elder in that church who was a a divorced man with one child. He was not married. And we found out later that he was spending his time away from church at the bars drinking and pursuing women and committing fornication. Now, this is a pitiful situation. He was also the Bible teacher of our singles class. I myself went to him with the fact that he had a girlfriend and I asked him many things and he was extremely evasive. And then I point blank said, are you committing fornication with this girlfriend? Are you having sexual intercourse with this girlfriend? He said, of course. And that's exactly how he said it. He had no shame. I said to him, oh, you know the Bible as well as I do. 1 Corinthians 5. I can't have any more to do with you. I can't attend your Bible class. I can't keep company with you in any way. And he replied, that's right. He didn't care. 
He was an elder in our church group at Word of Faith. And he wasn't even married. It's pitiful. Yes, we have rules of God in the New Testament Bible that we, the church, follow. Because that's all we have. Otherwise, you could be doing anything as a church. We don't set up the church by our own thinking. We have rules of God in the New Testament Bible, which tells us the qualifications elder, bishop, or deacon must have. And one of those scriptures says, if he doesn't know how to rule over his own family, how shall he rule over the church of God? Because when it talked about he must have multiple children who are under control, it says if he doesn't know how to rule over his own household, how shall he rule over the church of God? I believe that's in uh, one of the Timothy books. I looked that up, and it's in 1 Timothy chapter 3. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, elder, he desireth a good work. A bishop, or elder, must be blameless. The husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach not given to wine, no striker, not greedy, of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God, not a novice being lifted up with pride, lest he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And let these also be first proved. Then let them use the office of a deacon, being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be husbands of one wife, ruling their children, and their own houses well. Rules for the New Testament church. If you let a little bit of evil into the elders, we'll remember what Paul said, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. You can't do it. You can't run a church this way. That church today is completely gone. Even their own church members began suing the pastor. It completely disintegrated. There isn't even a building standing there today where that 8,000-seat church used to stand. The pastor moved to Florida, remarried, divorced, remarried, divorced, that type of thing, left his own wife, 
all types of adultery involved. He tried to have a television ministry in the Florida area. It was destroyed. The last I heard of him, he was in Culver City, California, where he'd bought a hotel. A reporter tried to attend one of their church meetings. He reported that it was held in a conference room of the hotel, and about six people were gathered around a conference table, and when they found out he was a reporter, they made him leave. They ushered him out of the hotel and basically told him not to come back. And all this is reported in Wikipedia under Robert Tilton. You can't disobey the rules of the New Testament Bible in the church and fail to bring judgment on yourself and the congregation and everyone is injured. You just can't do it. The church must be set up by the New Testament Bible. Now, here's another situation, and I've never seen this done in any church. I've seen this done in Sunday school classes, but not in the main service in the main auditorium. This concerns what we are supposed to do when we gather as the church. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26. How is it then, brethren, when ye come together as the church, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edify. Instead, Today, in our churches, we have a platform, often with a railing separating the preachers from the congregation. It is a planned program, usually. They have music planned. They have prayers planned. They have doctrine planned. It is not an open situation where the Holy Spirit can speak through whomever he wills in the congregation. When I have attended these churches, I have often thought, if Jesus Christ was sitting here today, he would not be permitted to speak to the church. Sometimes you can find a Bible class where it is open more for the Holy Spirit to speak through whomever he wills but I've never seen it done at the 11 o'clock service on Sunday morning. It is all highly structured, and the Holy Spirit is not free to speak through whom he wills. This, to me, is a great tragedy. And I know this is the end-time apostasy. It's awful. In 1979, God gave me a dream showing the condition of the churches at that time. Destruction was everywhere. It was like bombs had fallen. Destruction was everywhere. I was in a hotel, and I went downstairs, and I made my way downstairs by a rope because the elevators were bombed out. When I got downstairs, there was a meeting going on. I went into the room where a man was speaking, to a group of people. 
I sat down and began to listen. A second man rushed in and said, Stop, wait. Can't you see? It's too late. It's already begun. He disappeared. The first man resumed speaking. No one in the audience seemed at all interested in what it was that had already begun. I was interested. So I looked out of the room, looking out the windows that were to my left, and I saw a very tall pole with a yellow civil defense speaker on top of the pole, which was set there to warn the people. And out of the speaker, I saw a white gas coming out of the speaker. It was drifting toward the room where we were sitting, and I knew it was a poison gas, and I knew it would kill the people. I looked at the man sitting next to me, He had a big smile on his face. He was looking directly at the man who was speaking. And then I saw it. This man was already dead. He was a corpse, though he looked alive. I looked around the room, and everyone in the room were already corpses. And as I sat among them, I felt myself beginning to fall asleep. And the great tragedy, of course, was the speaker that was set there to protect the people was the very instrument being used to distribute the poison gas. At a point in time later, I attended Word of Faith and I went to the service on a Wednesday night. I sat down in a row of people and sitting next to me was a man And when I looked at him, he was the man of the poison gas dream that I was sitting by, the man who was already a corpse. I was so shocked. I looked around the rest of the room, and those people seemed like the people in the poison gas dream. I got up immediately and went into the restroom, and I said to God, I think you are showing me to leave this church. I'm going to go get in my car and drive away. But if you want me to come back, I will turn around and come back. I drove away and never returned. God did not want me to come back. He began to show me fallacies in the doctrine at that church. I've already recorded this subject of the faith movement on one of our podcasts. If you will go to our blog, Jesus Ministries Exhortation, Look on the right-hand side of the home page. You will see the podcasts, see them listed, the top podcast, and you can scroll down and you'll see that podcast, which is the faith movement, if you're interested in hearing it. The apostasy has already begun in our churches. It's been going on for the past 2,000 years as they have set up other denominations and departed from the New Testament Bible at least in part. And Antichrist is reigning in those churches where they have left the New Testament Bible. For the only thing keeping Antichrist out were the scriptures which are Jesus. And when Jesus was removed, Antichrist could come in. And Jesus was removed from the churches when the specific scriptures were omitted and another doctrine followed and where they approved lawlessness in the churches, 
against the rules of God as set forth for the church in the New Testament Bible. It had to happen before Jesus returned. It has happened and is happening. Thank you for allowing me to speak with you.